Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so imagine you're Peter. You're a Galilean fisherman going about your day, and then one day this young rabbi comes along and says, come follow me. For whatever reason, it it bites, it sticks, and you're in, and this sounds pretty good, and you drop the nets and follow him. And then you watch over the next season as lots of crazy stuff happens, right? Jesus teaches crazy things, first of all, like loving your enemies and giving all your money away and uh, just all sorts of crazy stuff. And then you see him heal beggars and lepers and paralytics. And then you see him spar with the religious leaders. You've even seen him walk on water and claim to forgive someone's sins, which, you know, is blasphemous unless you're somehow more than just a regular rabbi. And you've begun maybe to think there's something different about this Jesus. And then one day Jesus stops, right? And he says, so guys, just for fun, hey, let's kick this around. Who do people say the the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. 
Jesus says, well, that's, that's good public polling, right? <laughs> did, my, uh, did my second slide come through with the new stuff in there? No, it did not. Oh, man, I had all the answers in there except for number one. Yeah, oh, there they are. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's like they're playing family feud, right? Uh, we polled 100 people as to who the Son of Man is. Survey. So survey says... One of the prophets, Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist. Jesus says, if we're playing family food, you guys would be killing it. But then he turns back to them and asks, but who do you say I am? And I imagine this is one of those moments where, like, you ask a question or group and everybody just shuts up, right? Everybody kind of, like, looks at their feet. They're avoiding eye contact. They don't want to be the one to speak up. There's an awkward silence in the air. And everybody kind of hopes they don't get called on. And then Peter speaks up. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus looks him deep in the eyes and says this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if you're Peter, what would your attitude be like the next week? We'd like to think, you know, Peter is holy and humble and sanctified. Really thinks this is Peter for the next week. Yeah. This guy, right? Oh, y'all, you know, you were being quiet there, but I got it. Or maybe this. You're welcome. Anyone else have any questions? Any deep theological questions I can answer for you? Yeah, you like this? Yeah, I had a, I had a little too much fun this week with the slides. How about this next one? There's Peter. Yeah, you know, whatevs world's best disciple no big deal i just I, I found the shirt at a thrift store i swear you know yep here's a uh, peter on his uh, instagram this week so humble when the son of god gives you their name hashtag blessed you notice of course this guy's balding and he's 40 and he's using a flip phone so that's me using instagram apparently um <laughs> thinks Peter was probably a really big turn for a little bit after this, right? Or it's possible he wasn't being smug and childish, right? It's possible he didn't go to kind of this route. It's possible he went a different idea. He was walking around like this all week. Like, yeah. Peter, don't you forget it. Peter knew his Old Testament, right? He knew the, the coming of the kingdom of heaven meant the restoration of Israel, the restoring of God's people. It's quite possible Peter, like, you know, he has a sword picked out. He's ready to go. It's time to go to Jerusalem. And this is how he, he's imagining the scene in Jerusalem. It's, there you go. Yeah. It's time to break some skulls, right? Peter's got it all picked out. And guess what? Jesus says, I will be the first one there. So I'm teasing, of course. We don't know how Peter responded that week. 
But what's clear is he didn't get it. He, he, he failed the test one way or another. I'm not quite sure how. Because this is how our story ends. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus tells Peter that to fulfill this calling, right, to be the rock on which God builds his church, to have the keys to the kingdom, that Peter will have to die. He will have to take up his own cross and surrender his life, that he will have to die with Jesus. And when Peter rebukes Jesus for this sort of talk, what's Jesus called? Satan, right? The adversary of the things of God. So Peter gets one of the harshest rebukes we see of anywhere in the Gospels. But after this, does he get it? No, it still doesn't sink in, right? He goes into Jerusalem with short, sword in hand, you know, ready to do this, right? Chop off the ear of anyone who stands in his way. There's, there's Peter chopping off the ear of the high priest. And Jesus has to say, put away the sword. And at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, they will all fall away. And what's Peter doing? There he is. Not me. Everyone else might, but have you read the shirt, Jesus? And when he actually gets the chance to suffer with Jesus, when he's called out for being a disciple during Jesus' trial, what's he do? He denies Jesus three times, lying and deceiving to get out of paying any sort of cost, holding on to himself. Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Peter protects his life. He holds on to his reputation. And he plays it safe. And he loses his soul. But then the resurrection happens. And something changes in Peter, right? We, we don't entirely know like what, what flipped the switch. But the same Peter who denied Jesus in order to protect himself is now preaching in the public square, right? Regardless of the cost. The same Peter who is ready to pull out a sword for a fight willingly takes a prison sentence so he can suffer with Christ. The same Peter who is ready to kick out the Romans lets go of his cultural heritage and is the one to risk his reputation 
to bring in Cornelius the centurion, right? The Roman soldier. Peter's the one who says, yeah, we're doing this. The same Peter who needs to be world's best disciple will actually kind of exit stage left in the book of Acts. If you've read the book of Acts, Peter kind of disappears halfway through it. We take for granted that the church doesn't just become like the Peter show in Jerusalem. But that's partly because Peter knows when to step out of the way and let God go. Let God do his thing. The same Peter who failed to take up his cross with Jesus will give up his security and reputation and go all the way to Rome and stand before Caesar and give up his life for the gospel. Peter will take up his cross with Jesus, and because of this, he will take part in the coming of the kingdom of God. Right? Peter gets to see sinners saved and beggars fed and lepers healed and the brokenhearted comforted. He'll surrender himself to a power greater than himself and see a power that frees prisoners from their chains and preaches in a million languages. He will see a church born where people sell all their stuff to make sure there's no poor among them. He'll see Gentiles and Romans and outcasts come into the family of God and see the church of God grow like a weed all over the ancient world. And he himself will be turned inside out, right? He'll go from the frightened Galilean fisherman to standing before Caesar and declaring that the powers that be, the powers of war and wealth and destruction, these do not get the final word. Jesus will declare or Peter will declare before Caesar that Jesus is the true king. He will find a reality so great that it's worth giving everything for, even your life. Jesus says, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Guess what? Peter gets to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Do you long for such things? Peter will take up his cross. He will give up his power, his hatreds, his arrogance, his fear, his sense of control, and ultimately his life. But when he does, he comes into the kingdom of God. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever is willing to give up themselves will take part in the renewal of all things. Amen. And we are Peter. I know Peter kind of has a special place in history, right? None of us is going to be in Jesus's inner circle. But everything that Jesus says to Peter, he also says to us. He says, I tell you that you are Scotty. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he says, I tell you that you are Keith. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I tell you that you are Krista. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I tell you that you are Rachel. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. If I had another half hour, I'd say that to each and every one of you. (laughs) But I invite you to receive that. Wherever you are, God wants to do profound, renewing, healing, hopeful, beautiful things in your life and through your life and all around you. He doesn't need to be spectacular. He doesn't need you to be spectacular or talented or even smart. Something we often miss in this this verse is God says, he'll build the church. Doesn't say you are Peter and you will build my church. He says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. So it's not about being talented or charismatic, but the willingness to do this, to receive, to surrender, to let God into each and every place in your life and say, God, make me new, make me new, make me new. And if we're willing to do that, like Peter, we're willing to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus says we'll find our life. If we can create that space within ourselves where we empty ourselves and allow the, the power and the love and the healing and the joy and the hope of God to come in. We will see the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? It's not an easy calling. Because it comes with loss, right? And the things we have give us comfort. They give us identity. They make us feel safe. But when we take up the cross with Jesus, it is a moment of faith of saying that God will actually find us on the other side. That if we lose those things, if we forget those things, if we're willing to leave the nets behind, Christ will be there on the other side. Not just to rescue us, but to actually bring us into something so much deeper and fuller and better than where we have been before. Amen? So where is God speaking this to you? Where is Jesus saying to you, if you want to... Find your life. You must lose it. You must let go. You must surrender. The reality is you don't have to, right? God won't kick you out if you miss it. It's not how it works. 
We can persist in our sin and we can live a boring life that's centered on security and we can hold on to all our resentments and we can live for our finances and career and we can live a safe faith that never costs us anything. But we'll miss it. We'll miss it. We'll miss seeing and tasting and touching a reality that's bigger than this world. We'll miss seeing the salvation of God come both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We'll miss ever feeling the true freedom around resources that God can give us. We'll miss seeing the poor fed, the prisoners set free, the oppressed liberated, and the wounded bandaged up. Some of us may never take up our cross in a meaningful way. And Jesus says to us, truly, I tell you, some of you who are sitting here will go to your graves having never seen the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. God won't abandon us. God will love us. God will find us on the other side. But what would it look like to enter in? If you are hungry for something more, if you long for something more, like Peter, leave the nets behind. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for Jesus, will find it. Amen? All right, last thing, and then I'll leave us here. Uh, Sorry, I skipped a bunch of stuff. All right. Right before, a couple chapters I wrote from this passage, Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And this is where I want to end, because this is what Jesus promises, and I think it's true that the kingdom of God really is this good. It is the treasure hidden in the field. It is the pearl of great price. It is the wedding feast for the poor and the lost and the lonely. It's the prodigal son come home from the party. It's the lost sheep put on the, on the shoulders of the shepherd who says, come and celebrate. My, I found my sheep. It's the swords turned into plowshares and war is no more. It's a fisherman who will leave everything behind because suddenly life has endless purpose and meaning. And I say all this, because, and Jesus gives us all these examples, because we do need to keep that in front of us, right? To take up the cross is to lose something. But we remember that we're coming into something so much more, so much bigger, so much fuller. And so it's important to keep these images in front of us. If you've tasted or touched that reality before, I invite you to go to that place and remember the goodness and freedom of God. And if you've been, become disconnected from that reality, if that doesn't mean much to you, I'd say, like, go grab tattoos on the heart back there and start reading about what, if, what it's like when the kingdom of God breaks in in this world. Read the lives of the saints. Tell your story off and go back to those places where, where just healing just breaks in in a profound way. Keep the kingdom in front of you and remember how beautiful and lovely it is. And so then, it is a gift to surrender.
to sell all we have for the pearl of great price. Peter has an amazing calling in their passage for tonight, and so do you. God wants to do amazing things in you and through you and all around you. Not just spectacular things, but meaningful, deep, beautiful things. But to get there, you have to surrender to a power and a love that is greater than yourself. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are sitting here this evening, in this very room, tonight, some of you will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Go out this week and find your life. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.